For those of you who are gathering with us maybe for the first time or as guests, we are this, this summer we're going through a series called The Good News. And just thinking about the good news that the Bible presents to us, I want to let all of us know in the fall we're going to be starting a series in 1 Timothy. So that's the book we'll be in uh, once we start gathering indoors again on September 12th. So right now, good news, and then uh, 1 Timothy, which will be filled with good news as well. Um, the Bible is the center of what we do here. Um, that's a, it's going to be the basis of the sermon today. So if you do not have a copy of the scriptures with you, we have some men here who uh, will bring one by. Just signal to them. These have been disinfected, so uh, they're COVID safe. And uh, just, just let them know you need one. We'll make sure we'll get one to you. The sermon this morning is going to be from Acts chapter 2. So you guys can open to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to be reading uh, verses 29, or sorry, uh, 36 to 41. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 41. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. So Peter was preaching a sermon just after the Holy Spirit came down upon the church for the first time. And he concludes his sermon this way. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness. And continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And the rat of that day, about 3,000 souls. You can be seated as we pray. Father, together now, Having heard your word, we unite our hearts in prayer before you because we know your word is powerful. We want your spirit to be working through the sword of your spirit, through the word, to penetrate hearts. So, Father, may your spirit minister in our own hearts and in the hearts of all who hear. Help me as I preach. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This broken, sad, sin-stained world is not the ultimate reality. That's good news, isn't it? The cosmic scales of justice will be balanced. Wrong will be made right. God will come and bring justice. This is good news. 
isn't it? And the kingdom that Jesus is going to usher in one day will be marked by love and goodness and peace. No more tears. We'll be free from these bodies drawn to sin and the, the bond and, and in bondage to decay. That is good news, isn't it? But probably the best news is that sinners like us, rebels against God like us, get to be a part of that because of what Jesus did. Jesus bore the wrath we deserve for our sin and our rebellion. And by doing so, He made a way for us to be restored to a relationship with our Heavenly Father, to be given His Spirit, to be made new. And therefore, to enjoy the benefits of his kingdom forever. This is good news. It's the good news we've been thinking about this whole summer. But this good news isn't for everyone. There are some, the scriptures say, who don't end up being able to enjoy that good kingdom. There are some who do not experience God's salvation. And heaven forbid this morning that there could be some here who are able to hear this message who one day Discover on the other side of eternity that they're under God's wrath instead of knowing His love and His mercy. Heaven forbid that there are people here who don't get to experience what it's like to be restored to their relationship with their Heavenly Father, but instead remain in rebellion. It's my heart and my prayer that all this morning will know the fullness of this goodness that Christ provides. And so the crucial question for us then is how do I, how do I gain access to that? How do I become part of God's people? How do I become a Christian? Or to put it simply, what must I do? You see that? That's the question that was asked after Peter's sermon. Did you see that at the end of verse 37? Cut to the heart, they say, Brothers, what shall we do? And I want this sermon to show from Scripture the answer to that question so that it's abundantly clear. So that all of us can see it's crystal clear what we are to do. What allows us to be a part of God's kingdom. So I'm going to begin by just explaining that as clearly as I can. What, what we must do from the scriptures. And then I'm going to answer three different questions that arise from that, from that presentation. 
And that, that'll, be, that'll be the whole sermon this morning. So let, let's begin with this question that's, ans- that's asked in verse 37. Brothers, what shall we do? And here's my, uh, I'll say, provocative thesis. There is only one thing that we're called to do in order to be part of God's people. Only one thing. It's not to pray a certain prayer. It's not to walk in aisle. It's not to be baptized as a baby and then confirmed when you're a young adult. It's not to go to church or to be religious. Look at how Peter responds to this question in verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe you hear that word repent and it conjures up images of uh, you know, a street doomsday preacher with his sandwich, sandwich signs. But it's important that we understand what this word repent means. The word repent is throughout the whole of Scripture. It's a call, it's a call to all of us how we turn to Christ. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, the word, the word repent really just means... To turn, to turn. Sorry, I got to talk into the mic. To turn, change direction in a very literal, physical way. In the New Testament, the Greek word behind repent has more, has, it still has that term, but has more of an internal element to it, of our mind and our heart, a, a changing of our orientation, our, a transformation within. Really to repent is is to turn from one thing that we're embracing and go and embrace something else. The call then of scripture to us is to be people, is to be people who change allegiances. We switch from going one direction and we go the other. We switch from holding on to one thing in our deepest part. What do we cling to? Switch from doing that to clinging to Christ. So, to repent is is to renounce self-rule and embrace King Jesus. It's it's to renounce self-righteousness And to embrace the forgiveness that Jesus provides. It's to renounce our clinging to the wisdom of this world. And embrace the wisdom of God's scripture. It's to renounce our love for sin. And instead embrace the way of Jesus. This is what it means to become a Christian. To change our allegiances. To be transformed in that way. To to turn from one thing and to another. 
The call, the call to, to turn from one thing to another and to embrace Jesus is the clear call throughout Jesus' teaching in the Gospels, throughout the apostolic proclamation in the book of Acts, and throughout the letters of the New Testament. A call to repent and to believe. A change in allegiances. That is the one thing that we're called to do. And if you walk an aisle or pray a prayer or are confirmed or attend church without that happening in your heart, those things are empty. They do nothing for you. But if those same things are done because of what has happened in your heart, then they might be something that's locked in your heart and your mind as a transforming moment because of what, they, what they're associated with, that switching of allegiances, that repenting, that turning. So that is what we must do to be saved. To repent, to believe, to change our allegiances. Which leads to the first question. And that is, how can you say it's just one thing when the scriptures talk about repentance, belief, and being baptized? That sounds like three things. In fact, you might have noticed in our own passage. It says, not just repent, which is the word I camped out on, but repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. In fact, if you, if you look ahead in Acts to chapter 16, turn there with me, the same question is asked. What must we do? This time by a Roman jailer. In verse 30, he says, um, he, brought, he brought Paul and Silas out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. So Peter, in chapter 2, in answer to the question, says, Repent, be baptized. Here, Paul, in response to the question, says, Believe. Interestingly, what they do right after that is get baptized. We're even told that before it tells us that they'd believed. Although the belief did precede the baptism. But just in order of how it's told. Or I think back to uh, Mark's gospel when he tells us what Jesus' proclamation, what, what his message, his gospel message was. And in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 of Mark... He summarizes Jesus' message when he would proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. He'd say, the kingdom, the, the good news of the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. So there you have repentance and belief. In Acts chapter 10, when Peter's proclaiming the gospel message to a bunch of Gentiles, the call he gives them is to believe and be baptized. What's going on here? What is it supposed to be? Is it supposed to be repent and be baptized? Is it just believe? Is it believe and be baptized? Is it repent and believe? Which one is it? It's a little bit like if I said to my kids, go jump in the pool. And it kind of gotcha moment. They're like, 
You didn't tell us to put our bathing suits on. Yeah, yes. And in one time saying, go jump in the pool, and another time saying, get your swimming suits on and go jump in the pool, I'm not necessarily saying different things those two times, right? It's, it's kind of all wrapped up as one thing together. Understanding how these three things, repentance, faith, and baptism relate is important because they really do form one whole unit. And I think it's important because it's easy to misunderstand what biblical faith or what biblical belief is. That's often what we think of when we say, what do, we, what, what do you need to do to, to become a Christian? We need to believe. But some of us can think of belief as kind of what happens when we abandon logic. It's kind of that naive hope in, in a hunch you got. But, but biblically, that's not what faith is. Over and over again in Scripture, we're commanded to examine the evidence. Paul or Peter would reason with other people from the Scriptures. The Bereans are commended for looking and examining the Scriptures to see if, if what was being taught was true. Faith, faith isn't abandoning evidence and abandoning logic. That's a wrong view of faith. Faith is actually entrusting yourself to the things that you've examined and found to be true. In fact, the Greek word behind faith can just as, as accurately be translated trust. The Greek word believe can be ac just as accurately translated entrust. The way it was so helpfully explained to me years ago was you can get this chair and you can examine it and say, is this chair sturdy enough to hold me? And you can be sure that that chair is sturdy enough to hold you. But it's faith to sit in the chair, to entrust yourself to the chair. That's biblical faith. Here's another wrong way we can think about faith. We can think about faith as kind of just intellectually affirming certain things are true. Yes, um, I do believe that God sent his son. I believe Jesus was God's son. I believe that man Jesus died on the cross. I believe he died for sins. I believe he rose again. Check, check, check. Yes, that's all true. Mere mental assent. But again, the Bible corrects this wrong view. In James chapter 2, when a chapter that's really trying to express what biblical faith is. It says, the demons know certain things to be true about God. Just knowing them doesn't, doesn't make it true. They shudder in response. As opposed to entrust themselves. So when I talk about this one thing we do, we're born clinging to self-rule and autonomy, or at least perceived autonomy. We're, we're born clinging to our own way, which is, which is really sinful and rebellious against God. We're born clinging to the wisdom of this age. Repentance is kind of letting go, or is, is letting go of this and turning. And then faith is then entrusting ourselves to Jesus. So this act of of changing allegiances, this one thing, it's, it's really repentance and faith together. 
They're inseparable. They go with one another. They're two sides of the same coin. Now, where does baptism fit into all of this? Baptism is God's appointed sign that shows our allegiances have changed. It's our way to go public with this change in allegiance that's happened within us. It's, it's meant to be in the same way inseparable. If this happens, you're baptized. Now, we can kind of explore that hypothetical. What about that person who, who experiences that transformation, who, who changes allegiances, and yet they die before they have a chance to get baptized? Does that mean they're not really a Christian? No, in that hypothetical... We know the answer to that because that happened in the Bible to the thief on the cross. And Jesus makes clear he spends eternity in paradise. But even though there is that kind of exception we can think about, the general principle in the scriptures is that you don't switch allegiances in the dark. You don't do it and nobody knows that you belong to a new kingdom. You go public with it. You, you let people know that the change has happened and so you are baptized and in, in the thought of the scriptures, in the thought of God himself, to, to claim to have changed allegiances and yet not to take the very sign that he has given to us to show that we've changed allegiances, is, it, it's just nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. There's not really that category biblically. And so if you are someone who says, yes, that allegiance has changed in me, but you have not gone through the waters of baptism that show that you belong to Christ, I would plead with you, do what the scriptures say. Don't just repent, repent and be baptized. So all that to say, yeah, yes, there are different ways of talking about it. And, the, and Jesus and the apostles who use some of those words a bit interchangeably. In the letters of the Bible, faith is more emphasized. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, Repentance is more emphasized, but they're two sides of the same coin. They go together. That was question number one. The second question, then, that arises from that is, isn't that some sort of work I have to do? Do, do I have to do a work? Do I have to do something to warrant God's saving me. I gotta repent, believe, I gotta be baptized. Put it differently, when after Peter's sermon they ask, Brothers, what must we do? Why doesn't he say to them, Well, there's nothing you can do, it's all of grace. Just wait for God to come and make you new. That's not what Peter does in chapter 2. It's not how Paul answers it in chapter 16. And the four times that Jesus has asked this question in the Gospels, he never answers it that way. Is that because I have to do a work? Not at all. I think it betrays a wrong understanding of, of what repentance is. 
Let me give an example. I, I gave this earlier in the summer as well in one of the sermons, but let's say um, there's, a, there's a, a man who's, who's starving. He, he's, he doesn't have shelter. He's sitting on the street begging. And a man walks by him and says, meet me down the street in 10 minutes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a good meal. And I'm going to give you a new set of clothes. So that man gets up and meets the other, the beggar meets the man. And he's fed a good meal. He's giving clothes. Will the beggar say, I earned it? Because I, I got up and I went. I earned that meal. No, we all, he just trusted the promise of the man. So there, there's, there's something good for me. I can leave behind my begging and go and, and embrace the promise of this man. As opposed to, same situation, a man walks by and says, come to my house. I have some chores for you to do. If you do those chores well, I'll make sure you're well fed. That same beggar might be wise to trust that man's words and go to his house and work hard at those chores and then enjoy a good meal. It might be a real blessing, but it would be right for that man to say, I earned it. There were certain things I did to deserve the meal I got. So here, here's where our thinking of repentance can be wrong. We can stop thinking of it as like a change of allegiance where instead of trusting my, my curb here where I'm in, in squander, I'm going to entrust this man who, who I'm going to trust this man who, who promises good. Th this change in allegiance, that's what repentance is. But instead of thinking of it like that, we can think about it as, as like I need to get I kind of need to reform myself, get myself cleaned up before I come to Jesus. So, yeah, I think I need to become a Christian. And so. This, this awful addiction that I have, I've got to kick that addiction before I come to Jesus. Or this sin that, that has got its tentacles into me. I, I, need to, I need to go one month without looking at that or without sleeping with that, her or him or whatever it is, right? So we, got, we think that way. I've I got to get better in order to come to Jesus. That's not what repentance is. Repentance isn't, hey, you need to clean yourself up and get yourself prepared to embrace Jesus. No, repentance biblically is renouncing this and embracing this. It's leaving the curb in favor of the one who's promised us good. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. So it is not a work we do to earn it is just stopping trusting all these empty things that have always overpromised and underdelivered, always left us empty, have always left us unsatisfied, saying, No, I renounce all that and I turn and embrace the only one who can truly satisfy. That's repentance. It's a new allegiance. It's not a work you do. That leads to the third question. Which is, how do I know if I've done that? 
How do I know if I have changed allegiances? Maybe as you reflect on your spiritual journey, you can't identify one single moment where in your own consciousness that change happened. Or maybe there are numerous times you you tried repenting and you're not sure if any of them was real enough. Or perhaps more soberly, you are somebody who is so sure that's happened in you. And yet in reality, it actually hasn't. A situation the Bible affirms can happen. So how do we know if that change in allegiance has actually happened within us, if we have repented and believed. If you've been following what I've, what I've been trying to explain from Scripture so far, the answer might be clear to you. Because even though repentance in a certain sense is a one-time thing, there's a moment in time we say, I renounce all this and I embrace Jesus. That act of repentance changes a trajectory for you. It changes your allegiance within your heart. There is a new highest allegiance, and that's to Christ. But it doesn't mean that our our flesh ceases to be there. We, We still carry this body of flesh with its temptations towards sin. And so... Even though we're holding on to Jesus, there can still be that over there. And there's a temptation to, oh, oh, do I want to go back? No, this is where my allegiance is. And so if this is where our allegiance is, there's kind of a continual repenting that must be taking place. As those desires are within us and arise within our flesh, we, we say, I don't want that. It's not the, the lack of sin in your life that shows that you're repenting. It's what you do with the sin that shows you've repented and entrusted Christ. Entrusted yourself to Christ. Because the, the, the person who, who says, oh yeah, I belong to Jesus, but, but still loves their sin, is defensive of it, is protective of it. That's not, you haven't repented because you don't have new allegiances. You're still loyal over here. Rather, the person who's done that, when they feel those temptations or even fall in sin, they grieve over it. They cry out to God and say, have mercy on me. Thank you that you are gracious to me, a sinner. Give me your spirit, more of your spirit so that, so that I can battle this sin. I don't want it to be part of me. Let me give a real practical example. Let's say in parenting, kids aren't behaving all that well and a little anger flashes up in me and I snap at the children in anger. A little bit later, my wife says to me, James you were angry with the children. That wasn't right. How do I respond? 
to become really defensive? How dare you accuse me of anger? Are you, are you pandering to our kids? Did you see how they were behaving? And now you're against me too? And the inner legislator starts going and, and running and running and telling me all the reasons I was right, all the reasons my kids were wrong, and all the reasons now my wife is wrong too. It's one way to respond. But what if instead... Maybe not right away. Maybe there might be some of that initial old fleshly kind of defensiveness and legislation that starts to creep in. But you say, that's, that's actually, I, I repented of that. That's not who I am in Christ. I know what lurks in me. I know it's a cesspool of, of corruption down there in the flesh. So even if I can't see it, if my wife's seeing it, I, I need to look and I need to examine. And so as I look and examine, I, I, I ask for God to help me see what's going on and the hard issues behind it. And I go to my children and I, and I ask for forgiveness. And I go to God and I ask for forgiveness. And then I endeavor to take steps to, to deal with the underlying hard issues that got me to flash that anger. It doesn't mean I'll never be angry again. It just means there's an orientation. There's a higher allegiance in my heart now. And it's not to my sin. It's to Christ. And it's an understanding of what my sin is and saying I've renounced that, I've repented of that. And so the life of the Christian is one of ongoing repentance. The person then who grieves over her sin, who clings desperately to Jesus, who battles the remnants of sin still in their own heart. That is somebody who, who has changed allegiances. The person who is defensive of their sin, who clings to their self-righteousness, and who only holds on to Jesus so that he can claim his grace in order to continue to continue in his own sin. Kind of as an excuse. That person should have no confidence that they've had a change in allegiance, according to the scriptures. You see, Jesus said, you know a tree by its fruit. one who has changed allegiances and who therefore is restored to relationship with their father and who has the spirit indwelling in them will produce fruit in keeping with repentance. They will continually be repenting. One who has repented is a repenter until Jesus returns and we're made new. Martin Luther famously hammered 95 theses to the Wittenberg door, sparking the Protestant Reformation. And the very first thesis on that door read thus, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, Matthew 4.17, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. 
That's how Martin Luther captured this biblical teaching. So as we close, I want to return to our passage in Acts where we started. I want you to look at verse 39. Who is this promise of of the Holy Spirit for? Who is this promise of salvation for? What does it say in verse 39? For the promise is for you. Every adult who can hear this, who can hear God's word read and proclaimed, the promise of salvation is for you. What does it say next? And for your children. All right, kids. If you're under 18 right now, I want to see if you're hearing. Raise your hand if you're under 18 for a moment. Okay, see some people lying out there. Teenagers are too cool to raise their hands in a sermon. The promise is for you. This isn't a sermon I'm just giving to adults. There's a hand still up there. I like that. Preachers like to see hands up. You can put them down now. But I, I'm serious. This message that, I'm, that, that God is bringing today is for you, children. It says it right here. The message is for you and for your children. And who else is it for? And for all who are far off. Maybe you're here and you feel like, I, I'm not the religious type. I'm not the church-going type. I don't fit with this crowd. The message, the promise is for you. It's for everyone. Everyone. And I want to plead with you this morning. If you haven't changed your allegiances, repent. Believe. I know it can be hard. There's that sin that you just, you're so, you love it so much. You don't want to let go and turn. But the embrace of that sin is nowhere near as rewarding as the embrace of Christ your Savior. Maybe you don't want to let go of that, I say, illusion of autonomy. I want to be able to stand in judgment over God. I want to be able to stand in judgment over His Word. I don't want God and His Word standing in judgment over me. I I get that. But your autonomy, really, it is just an illusion. You're much more at the whims of other things than you realize. But more importantly, we make a mess when we're our own masters. There is a good king that we can turn to whose ways are far better. So arise. Come to Jesus. He'll embrace you. Maybe some of you, even as I preach right now, are feeling God work in your hearts. Maybe people have professed to be Christians for years and realizing as we preach, no, I actually have never changed my allegiance. 
Or maybe others who are hearing this for the first time and you're saying, God is awakening my heart. I am I'm being drawn by him and I can feel that. And I plead with you now, repent. At the close of this service, I've asked uh, one of our elders and his wife, Jim and Grace, to just come and stand in the front so that if, if there's anyone who's feeling that, and you just need to talk a little bit more or linger in conversation a little bit more or pray with somebody. Jim and Grace will be here to do that. Jim and Grace. Jim's the one who prayed. Where's Grace? Where, I, where are you guys sitting? Yeah, Jim and Grace. Can you just stand up for a second so people know who they're looking for? That's Jim and Grace. So they'll be at the front in a moment. There may be others here who are feeling that, that prick of God awakening their, their souls. And already you're trying to shut that down. And you're intent right now to leave and to try and go away until the feeling passes. I want you to know that I am praying that God would haunt you with the words from his scripture, repent, 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 that he would give you no rest in this way that leads to your own destruction until you relent to let go and to turn to him. This is how we know all the good news we've been talking about this summer. A change in allegiance to repent, to believe and trust ourselves to Jesus. To be baptized. Will you pray with me? God, there's no way for me to know what your Holy Spirit is doing in the, the many hearts who are hearing your word proclaimed this morning. But it is my prayer that whatever work you intend to do, you would do it. You would give people no rest until they find their rest in you. That people would know, all of us would know the warm, welcoming embrace of Jesus. The safety of you as our King. The joy of salvation. So work even as we sing. For those who have made this decision, may this song remind us of the joy we have in Christ. And for those who have not, call them to yourself even now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.